If you've got your Bibles, um, or if you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Um, and uh, we are going to go into Matthew chapter 13. You might notice that we've uh, now made it through this uh, the Christmas season. Had a couple of, of services these uh, past two weeks where we focused on the Christmas story, kind of post Jesus' birth story, and now we're coming into a a new season where we're going to be spending some time uh, in the Gospels, and we're going to be focusing on parables of Jesus. Parables of Jesus, simple stories, profound truths. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 13 this morning, the 13th chapter of Matthew, starting at um, verse 10. And we're really going to spend our time this morning in Matthew chapter 13 and Matthew chapter 12. So you can kind of live right there. Matthew start 13, starting at verse 10. Then the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but not understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for uh, the gift of open ears and open eyes, and by the power of Your Spirit for understanding. For we know that the Scripture is alive and active Father, we know that the Spirit works in our life to bring faith and to create hope and life. And so, Father, would you pour out your Spirit? Would you do your work? Would you open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes? And Father, would you transform us, not just us individually, but us as a congregation, Lord. Be at work that we could be light in the midst of the darkness, hope in the midst of despair, life in the midst of the death that exists around us and in this world. Empty me of myself. Father, fill me with your spirit to overflowing, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our salvation. And all God's people say together, amen. Well, if you've ever taken a course in public speaking, have you ever done that? A lot of high schools now, you know, you have to take a, a speech class of some sort, or maybe you have some, a little bit of experience in public speaking, then you know how important a good illustration can be. And helping you get your point across. And, and I think everybody enjoys hearing stories or illustrations by a speaker that bring the message home, that convey the speaker's kind of central points. Because no matter what the topic is, whether it's a, a topic that we can all know or relate to, or a really difficult, kind of over-the-top academic or hard to understand, a story usually helps to clarify or at least make the point accessible, right? Relatable. 
I know how important it is for me uh, to not just simply tell stories, but to be relatable and understandable, to, to make sure that I'm communicating as best I can in ways that help people receive and understand the gospel. After all, sermons are the vehicle, the means by which people hear about Jesus and come to faith by the power of the Spirit. So preaching, as opposed to just public speaking, has a lot riding on it, right? Eternity and salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Preaching clearly and making good points that are relatable is a burden that I take seriously. And as I've said often, my Saturday nights are usually a pretty good wrestling match with the Lord. I had a preaching professor in seminary that used to harp on us about this point. And he would say this, he would say, remember that stories and illustrations are to be used to highlight the gospel, to point the people to Jesus. He'd say, if the gospel is just an illustration for your stories, you got it backwards. And in fact, what you're probably trying to do is push an agenda that's yours, and that's not the gospel. Your illustrations have to be highlighting the gospel and not the other way around. Illustrations and stories can be very helpful in pointing people to Jesus and creating faith by the power of the Spirit, but they can also be a distraction when used incorrectly. And they can even be used to manipulate the text in a way that proclaims this false gospel and leads people away from truth. So preachers have to be careful. Jesus, who not only preached the good news, but was himself the good news. Jesus was hands down the greatest teacher and preacher the world has ever known. Kind of goes without saying. Not only were the things that he had to say the most important things ever proclaimed to anyone, but how he did it. His skill in communicating was beyond any before or since. He was the greatest preacher, public speaker of all times because he was the Word of God made flesh. The very Word of God in the flesh proclaiming the Word of God. His words either brought faith or they incensed riots. His words either brought life or created a murderous intent. That's how powerful it was. One of the things that Jesus was the master of was how he used stories and illustrations called parables. He had the ability to make deep heavenly truths understandable to, to all kinds of people, the common ordinary folk of his day, the laborers, the fishermen, the shepherds. They heard the truth, they perceived it, and they received it. Parables were part of how Jesus proclaimed heavenly truths to everyday people. So, what exactly is a parable? Because we, he doesn't, we don't just say Jesus used great illustrations. We, we, call, we call them parables. Is it just a story? Is it just an illustration? Well, well, some people define parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Kind of a tight, concise little description. The English word parable comes from the Greek word parabole which means to lay one thing alongside another, to throw alongside. The word is also related to the word parallel, right? 
which actually describes two similar things laying side by side, going in the same direction. And as my study aid, as I was researching and, and, and praying over this, this sermon today, one thing that I read said this, a parable is a teaching aid cast alongside the truth being taught. It brings additional light by using a familiar analogy. But a parable is more than just, it's more than just an old adage, kind of a wise proverb. In, scriptures, in Scripture, parables capture the truth. And then they cause us to wrestle with that truth. In fact, it reveals the truth in down-to-earth ways that sometimes are really encouraging and sometimes make us kind of stop short (laughs) and examine ourselves. Thrown alongside each of these spiritual truths, everyday examples, Jesus would throw them out. And a number of them we'll, we'll get into. But some of just to give you a little example, Jesus compared his own relationship to us as a shepherd to his sheep. Luke chapter 15. He compared someone who teaches the gospel to a man who is planting seed. Matthew chapter 13, where we're in today. He used such word as salt and life, light to describe the Christian life, our influence in the world. We are to be salt and light out there in the world. Now, there's actually a little bit of a debate about how many parables there actually are, kind of depending on you know, how short his little sayings were or maybe uh, um, how people are defining that in, in and of itself, a parable. But there's anywhere from 30 to 50, depending on how you define it, that Jesus spoke in the Gospels. So we're going to spend some time over these next weeks listening to Jesus teach us through parables. Now, we're not going to do 30 to 50 weeks. Maybe we should. But we're going to do a number of weeks. And we're going to allow Jesus to lead us into God's divine wisdom. And we're going to look at our world. And we're going to look at our lives. And we're going to discover that God is on the move. And some of the parables are going to cause us to to really uh, come face to face with something God wants to shift and change in our hearts and minds. And some of the parables are going to, we're going to come face to face with the way that God is really encouraging us. We'll be reshaped by them. And we'll be a people who reshape the world because of them, because of Jesus. As a college student of mine used to pray, uh, he would say, Lord, make us thermostats, not thermometers. As Christian people, help us to change the temperature, not merely take it in any room or given situation. We're going to be changed. Well, today we aren't going to start by looking at a specific parable. Instead, we're going to go through Scripture and find out why Jesus chose to preach and to teach using parables. He talks about that in the text that I chose for today, Matthew chapter 13. So it bears a close examination to really kind of see what Jesus is doing by speaking in parables. I've already given you some insight into why he chose to use parables. To better communicate truth as a way of bringing spiritual truth to life, to everyday life. But that isn't the only reason. In fact, at first... At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, you might notice that Jesus doesn't use a lot of parables in his teaching as he begins preaching. There's not a ton of parables in the beginning of his ministry. In fact, the longest sermon that we have in Scripture, the longest sermon that we see comes from the, uh, earlier in the book of Matthew, Matthew's chapters 5 through 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a long sermon, three chapters. 
And in that sermon, we don't see a lot of parables. There's a lot of teachings, but he doesn't use a lot of parables. It's really only later in his ministry that he begins to really fire up his use of parables, at least the way that we see them used as, as his life goes, goes towards the cross. Stories that would both confound and draw people in, that made people angry, and that brought people salvation. So the shift on how he uses parables and for where he uses parables happens a little ways into his ministry. And we can see that shift clearly when we look at the shift between Matthew chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 13. Are you with me? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, the chapter right before 13 here where we've been. The disciples at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, maybe you have a, a heading there, and my heading says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And what's taking place at the beginning of chapter 12 is the disciples on a Sabbath are hungry, and they're, they're harvesting some grains of wheat as they're walking along, and they're eating, they're picking and eating, eat, and, and eating on the Sabbath, picking grain, harvesting, which by law was a day of rest. And the Pharisees questioned him on this. You know, why aren't they keeping the Sabbath? Why aren't they obeying the law? And in effect, what Jesus says at the beginning of chapter 12 is he says, because I'm here. <laughs> because I'm here. I'm greater than the Sabbath. I, I, in fact, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> in verse 7, he tells the Pharisees by their, their pettiness with these laws. In verse 7, you can underline it. It's a great little thing. He says, you are condemning people who have no guilt. Isn't that interesting? You're the problem. <laughs> to highlight the truth of his bold lordship, of who he is, and the truth of being the Lord of the Sabbath, he next brings healing to a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, in fact, they set him up. They, 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 they bring him this. They say, should, should you heal on the Sabbath? Well, that's like, you know, I mean, Jesus can't help himself at that point. They set him up. Should, should he be healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus was like, I oh, see this guy with a withered hand over here. <laughs> he goes right into it. Verse 11 to 13. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So it's lawful to, to do good on the Sabbath. <laughs> then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and it was restored, healthy, just like the other, the text says. Now witnessing this, now here's, the, here, here's where the turn starts to come here. Now witnessing this, Instead of coming to the conclusion and seeing the truth that he is greater than any law, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, seeing a healing in front of you, instead of coming to that conclusion, they reject both what they hear and what they see. Do you, do you hear me? Do you hear me? They, they reject what they're seeing and hearing. And verse 14, here it is, here's the turn. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him on how to destroy him. They want to kill him. And it gets worse for the Pharisees. <laughs> the Pharisees, upon hearing of his healings, later on in the same chapter here, they reject him completely. And they begin to say, they make the claim to those around them that his power and authority are not from God, but from the devil. 
So not only do they reject what they're seeing and hearing, they start to associate and tell people that what's going on with Jesus isn't that he has a power from God, but the power that he's using to heal and to do these things and and his attractiveness to people comes from the devil. And that is the kicker. It's too far. Because they aren't just disagreeing with Jesus or entering into a debate about the law, what the purpose of the Sabbath is. They outright speak against the power of the Holy Spirit. They blaspheme the Spirit of God, and Jesus talks about that in this chapter, and and they call the power at work in Him the work of the devil. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Verse 32, here's what Jesus says basically. He says, come on, you can debate me. Disagree with me if you want. Come and talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Open your ears. Listen to what I'm saying. Open your eyes. See what I'm doing. But when you blaspheme the power that is at work in me, it's clear you're against me. And what's more, It's evidence that you refuse to see and hear. Not only this, but it's the Holy Spirit at work in us, right, that creates faith. How do we come to faith? By the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit draws us into faith. The Spirit continues to open up our mind and hearts to the the words that Jesus is speaking to us. The Spirit starts to work in our lives and sanctifies us, right? I start to like things that Jesus likes more than things that the world likes, right? The Spirit does His work in me. So when you blaspheme the Spirit, what you do is you turn your back to the possibility of faith. Do you see what I'm saying? That's a big deal. In blaspheming this power, the Pharisees bring condemnation upon themselves. Do you understand? Here is the turn in Jesus' preaching. This is where it turns. The authorities, the Pharisees, have shut their ears and their eyes, and they've turned from the power that creates faith, and so Jesus begins to use parables, and he starts to use them quite a bit. Why? Why does his proclamation and speaking pattern change? Well, let's go to the text. Go to chapter 13 now. Look at 13.13. Jesus is answering the disciples. And he says, This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they understand. They refuse to hear, they refuse to see, and they refuse to understand. Now the word here for understand, because it sounds like, well, maybe is God like, you know, kind of clouding their minds so they can't understand? The word here for understand in Greek means to put it together, to consider it, right? To kind of piece things together. They refuse to even look at it in a way that could draw some conclusions from They refuse to try to even draw conclusions from what Jesus is saying and doing. They refuse to understand. And this is significant because it isn't God that is hiding the meaning from the Pharisees. They know what Jesus is saying. And they refuse to perceive, to put it together, and to say, yep, he's from God. 
He's the Christ. They will not do that in their hearts and minds. They've set themselves against Jesus. They close their ears. They shut their eyes. They're not going to make the connections that are plainly laid out. And that is important because God isn't keeping faith from them or damning them. This condemnation is self-inflicted. Do you hear me? They have brought judgment upon themselves. And we know this to be true because we know God's heart in all matters. We understand from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 that our God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We understand in John chapter 3, 16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whomever believes in Him, right? We know God's heart of what He wants. He desires everybody. Not everybody chooses to receive to open up their ears, to look plainly at what's being done, and to consider, to try to, under, to seek understanding of what God is up to. It's clear that even the disciples um, needed the parables to be explained. We, we see that in the text. They ask Him the meaning of, of, of parables. But the difference is this. They're trying to make the connections. <laughs> they're trying to understand what Jesus is saying and what it means for them and what it means about God. They're, 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 they're actively desiring to know what Jesus is, is talking about. They want to hear and they, they want to see. They have open ears and open hearts. And that's why Jesus says in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 13, He says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Now, they had just asked Him, what does this parable mean? <laughs> right? But He says, your eyes see and your ears hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. The difference between the Pharisees and the disciples and those who received Jesus' teaching and preaching isn't that God is kind of you know, separating out some and damning them somehow. It's the difference between those who want to understand and those who turn away, no matter what the evidence is showing them. I mean, you see a guy with a withered hand from birth open it up, and it looks exactly like his other hand, and you go, no, nah, forget it. Whoa! And so, he speaks in parables. Why? So that the common, ordinary folk receive even more. It relates to their life. Those who are seeking to understand what it means for them on a day-to-day -day basis where the rubber hits the road. And I try to do that. We try to do that, Greg and I, in our sermons. Try to make this applicable. <laughs> that it means something for your day-to-day -day life. And so Jesus starts speaking in parables because those people get it. <laughs> they start to see where Jesus is calling them outside of themselves, convicting them in some way to draw closer to the Lord or encouraging them in some ways. He does it so that the common, ordinary folks receive more, perceive more, grow in understanding, start opening up their ears and their eyes more to what God is doing. In fact, I, talk about, I haven't talked about that in a while, but, but I, I talk about faith as kind of like these glasses that we, Jesus gives us, the eyes of faith. Like before you know Jesus, you think the world is, you know, it's all, you know, it's just terrible, everything's awful. You get faith, you see, start seeing Jesus all over the place. Amen? You start seeing Jesus at work in your heart and your mind. You start seeing Jesus at work in the lives of other people. You start praying. You start, and Jesus starts answering prayers. 
Your eyes are open to the, God is up to something. The difference between whether he was or not isn't whether God is working, it's whether your eyes are open to what he's doing. See what I'm saying? Are you with me here? I'm getting excited. It hits them, these common folks, on the level of the day-to-day, and they soak it up. And the Pharisees, the arrogant, those who blaspheme the power of the Holy Spirit at work in him, those who speak against the Spirit, turn further and further and are confounded and are puzzled and get angrier and angrier by his parables. Rejecting the Holy Spirit is where faith happens. That's where faith happens through the Spirit. When you reject it, it can't happen. I say this all the time. People ask me about living word. And I say, we're, we're heavy on the Word of God. Because when you're heavy on the Word of God and you want to be changed by the Word of God, the Spirit's at work. Amen? If you don't have the Spirit at work in church, you got a club. Anybody need another club? And more work? Mm-mm. But if the Spirit's at work and you got the Word that's alive starting to reshape you, and the Spirit starts to move you, now we're doing something eternal together. Amen? And the Spirit starts to move. Without the Spirit, people are lost. Literally lost. And the Pharisees are lost. The parable that he tells in chapter 13, where this turn in ministry happens, take a look at this. Chapter 13 again. The, 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 the parable that he tells at the beginning of 13, remember chapter 12, they're going to kill him, and this is where the turn happens, and he tells a parable at the beginning of chapter 13. You know what it's about? It's about hearing. <laughs> it's about hearing. Look at it. It's the sower who throws seed on the ground. The disciples come and say in verse uh, eight, 18, they want to know more about this parable of the sower. And look at what he says, what he's explaining it. Verse 19, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does it and does not understand it, the evil one comes and he explains this whole throwing out of seeds, the, the sower throwing seeds, and it's all about hearing. Verse 18, look at how it begins. Hear then the parable. This is the next parable. Verse 8, hear then the parable. Hear it. Listen to it. To the deeper truth within it. Open up your ears to what the parable is about. Verse 19. Anyone who hears. That's what he's explaining again. This parable that he tells at the beginning. Hearing, listening, seeing, understanding, making the connection. The truth that Jesus is speaking. Jump down to verse 43. Look how Jesus ends the parable that he's telling down there. The parable from 36 to 43. He ends it by saying, He who has ears, let him hear. He'll say that a lot throughout the Gospels. The Holy Spirit will say it a lot, you know where else? In the book of Revelation. God wants us to know Him, to understand His love and forgiveness. God wants us to come to faith, to believe in Jesus. For those with ears, listen up! We will be diving into these parables with open ears, and we'll be praying for the Holy Spirit 
for the presence of the Spirit and the power to do His work in our hearts and our minds. And as we listen and as the Spirit moves, we're going to discover together that there is hope and peace and forgiveness and truth and life in Jesus. Anybody need that? We'll be given faith to believe. So over these next weeks, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to come. But come with open ears and eyes and an open mind. Come and receive faith. If you love the Lord and you live daily in His presence, then come with open ears and grow deeper in your relationship with the Savior. He has so much to tell you. He who has ears, let him hear. And as we do this together, we will celebrate and praise God for it will be just as Jesus promised in verses 16 and 17. Blessed are your eyes, not just your eyes. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and they didn't hear it, and hear what you hear, and didn't hear it. Woo! Come on! That's the truth for all who come, who hear, who see, who make the connections to understand that Jesus is the promised one. He forgives sinners. He raises the dead. He is the Savior. He is your Savior. So together, we will hear and we will see and the Holy Spirit will do its work in us. And together, we'll believe and step out. So come, he who has ears to hear, come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of parables. And may we not be Pharisees that that, that come with our own agendas and our own ideas, but may we, Lord, come to you longing to learn, to hear, to be given faith and hope and life. Pour out your Spirit. Lord, pour out your Spirit on us. Draw us to You and fill us. And then, Father, send us into this world, into the hurting and the broken and the lost who do not see, who do not hear, and who do not know that You love them and that You have died to save them. So come and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say,